This podcast is Entel Enhanced. To see pictures, articles and links of what's being discussed, download the Entel app. Hello, welcome to the Big Scuba Show. Um, okay, my name is Chris. I'm the creator of the Modern Diver channel. Today I'm on the Big Scuba podcast with Ian and Gemma and we're going to be talking about scuba diving in the modern era and the social media world. So here we are, once again. Hello everyone, welcome to the Big Scuba podcast. My name's Ian and with me by Zoom is my lovely co-host Gemma. Hello everyone. Hello. So, yes, welcome and thanks for downloading this episode. Episode 85 we're on. We're getting on, aren't we? We are. So, um, yeah, if you just downloaded and this is your first time, we've got to say thank you and welcome. Welcome for joining us. And uh, where have you been all this time? (laughs) Um, Yeah, we, we talk about diving. This is the whole point. We talk about diving and we get guests on to talk about diving and what they've been up to, or exploring or free diving. And we talk about our diving experiences and Jen, a baby diving. We talk about how it's going for you, don't we? Yep. Yep. And we've got lots to talk about. Yeah. So uh, we've been in the water again, haven't we? It's yeah, we, we yeah, we got in the water Friday evening in the yeah. sea. Yeah. Uh, so we'll come to that in a second. Um, our guest this week is a guy called Chris Foisy, who is an instructor from Ontario in Canada, and he's big on TikTok, and we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Jeff, so, what have you been up to this week since we last spoke? Well, it's been a busy work week uh, with the podcast, and then we um, went diving Friday evening off our local coast. It was arranged by our local dive centre, Crystal Seas, and we made it on a nice summer's evening and uh, went and did a little wreck dive. And that was, that was really nice, wasn't it? Yeah, so that was in Weybourne in North Norfolk on the east coast of the UK. Uh, for our non-UK listeners. Yeah, and it is a, um, it's a dive that we've done before, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. a, Once before, yeah. Yeah, and in fact, that was your first introduction to diving in the sea. It was. I uh, qualified, I think, on the weekend, and then midweek, we then went into uh, and did that wreck dive, and that was amazing. That was yeah. my first sea dive shortly yeah. after I qualified, yeah. And uh, the visibility wasn't so good this time, was it? That's no, good. it was it was a way bit different to what I remembered before. Um, but it was still good, yeah. Uh, a bit of a current as well this time. Yeah, and I had a bit of an issue with one ear, so I was a bit cautious about. So You just do sometimes. I notice that mm. uh, I think I do as well sometimes. Sometimes I seem to be able to get down. Hard, you know, it seems like I've hardly equalised and no issues yeah. at all. And then another time, another dive, even maybe a second dive of the day. Yeah. Why can't I, why am I struggling to equalise here? Yeah, unfortunately it was just one ear, so I just kept kind of at five metres and, yeah, didn't push it any further. No, no, I just kept within my limits. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, And, you know, it's a nice dive to do for young um, you know, when I say yeah, 
for early divers is what I meant. Um, yeah, new divers. Yeah. Because the depth wise. Maximum eight meters. Isn't it? It's to the top of the deck is about four or something, you know, maybe. Mm. Four. And uh, to the bottom, um, you're looking at seven, something, eight. Water temperature, I think the average was 18 degrees. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> and although it's a bit of a little bit of a hike, you know, it's a beach, it's a shore dive, so it's a little bit of a hike out, but you can swim it as well if you get the current right, you know, yeah. um, you can do it with a... Yeah, and it is a shore dive, so you have to be very careful about planning when you're going to do it. You can't just do it any time. You've got to do it on Slack. So, yeah, yeah so there were, and there were, it was really good because there were a great, Oh, well, there must have been like 20 plus people. Yeah, all, we put it on our social media, didn't we? It's all yeah. on Instagram and stuff. And um, we were in there with a group of people. And uh, that was a nice atmosphere, wasn't it? Yeah, really good. It wasn't crowded, obviously, on the wreck. People went in sort of staggered times. And yeah, we saw a few divers when we were. Did you see the free dive? There was a free diver out there with a, um, a spear gun. A spear gun yeah it all happens in north norfolk <laughs> big lobsters and huge crabs there's some really big, yeah. big old crabs on there yeah a so a lot of fish you know, a lot quite a lot on there yeah so it's definitely if you're in the uk it's another site to recommend um we've got another wreck off the north north coast called the vera yeah, as well. some people have been doing this week as well yeah yeah, we, yeah, there is. But on, on our part, part of the coastline, um, we don't have a particularly long window. So yeah. we usually start diving from late July, well, late June through to um, end of September. You might get some in October, although I have known other people to dive in November. But it is dice, mm. you know, if you... If you don't, if you're not bothered too much about the visibility, that you know, towards the end it can get quite stirred up, and you can be down to centimeters rather than. Yes. Unfortunately, we've got quite sandy bottoms where we are, and it stirs it up. Fine sandy bottoms. Yes, nothing. Yes, yeah, it does come a pain if you have a sandy bottom. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, um, you use your sheer water. How do you get on with that? Yeah, no, I'm really getting used to it now. So I've got it on my uh, right hand wrist on a kind of bungee system. So it's good to. Why have you got it on your right hand and not on your left? So that I can see it and I'm not having to use my, if I'm looking at my pressure on my air, I've got another hand free. So yeah, yeah. Or when you're raising your LPG. Yeah, LPG. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's working really well. So I'm really, and it's great. Because it's, I'm now logging my own lives. I'm not relying on you to give me the information. <laughs> I think I'm really up to date. I'm up to. I, You're more up to date than me. I'm about two or three dives behind. I need yes, to... I think you are. <laughs> but it was, in, it was really interesting because in the Farne Islands, I used my sheer water, and the temperature of the sea was. Uh, what did we record it at? Fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah, 14. and um, you, uh, you know. You, you stuck with the team this time and and you dived in your 03 well yes that's another thing that we did on this dive we both dived in our 03 semi-dry I, I dived in mine in the farns i know you did, but oh you obviously had to compare it to the farns to the norfolk coast so yeah, yeah. there was the only diver in what 30, 
30 people. They're all, they're all sweltering in their dry suits. And I stuck it out in the... So in terms of the O3 dry suits, I think Love you can it. say we're pretty satisfied. <laughs> they keep you... Yes. Yeah. I was like going along underwater, probably five metres, and I'm thinking, how do I feel? And I'm thinking, I think I feel quite hot. <laughs> I actually felt quite hot, actually, under there. I thought I was going to cool down a bit, but I did. I actually felt quite warm. Yeah, we were hot. There's obviously quite a beach walk to get to the area where you drop in um, off the shore. But yeah, there wasn't much cooling down at all, was there? No. I, I, but I do, honestly, um, you know, I, I can't recommend them 03 um, semi-dry suits enough, to be honest with you. Um, they are, well, they've been an absolute game changer um, for UK diving for me in the summer. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah, really enjoyed diving with it. It was easy. The price isn't bad either, to be fair. Hmm? The price isn't bad either. No, totally affordable. Yeah. Um, um, first of people who only usually dive on a liverboard, um, and, you know, because of COVID and all that, they're now diving in the UK, um, rather than going to the expense of a dry suit, have a look at the semi-dries, I don't yeah. I think they'll keep you tasty warm well into the autumn. I would say yes. I would say because even, you know, um, I'm, I'm thinking of diving at Stony Cove, you know, in November, the water has been warmer than what it has been outside in the air. So as long as you can keep warm in between dives, then really, uh, I can't, mm. why not? Yeah. But the deep you're going to be going as well, though, to be fair. You know, if you're only doing shallow dives, great. But if you are going deep, then, yeah, you probably would want a dry suit. So. Yeah. And to be fair, you know, Friday, we only you maxed, what, eight metres? That was yeah. it. Yeah. So so that's good. That's good to get in the water. Um, I don't know when we're next diving. I don't think we've got anything coming up. Well, there's small dates planned with Crystal Seas that organise shore diving. So yeah. we'll just have to keep an eye on that. And it's all about the tides and just making yeah. sure they're right. And juggling work and kitty life. And, and life, yes, and stuff like that. So that's that, really. Uh, back to CrossFit tomorrow. And uh, it's been a busy one at CrossFit. Had some good old wads this week, which has been good. Yeah, you've done them. I haven't really. Well, you know, so back on it this week. Yes, get back onto it. You know, um, it's been so good at some of the guys that are now training for competitions this week this weekend coming so uh, it's a busy week on that uh talking about social media um saw a really good thing this week with ghost fish in uk mm -hmm. uh, i shared it on big scuba facebook you uh, did. and that's them releasing lob baby lobsters. baby lobsters yeah that they've been that in a hatchery yeah so how cool is that so if you haven't seen that yet go it's either on you'll see it either on ghost fishing uk webs uh social media or you'll see it on ours yeah yeah and it's really good because i've seen it happening in north norfolk as well they've got a hatchery as well so it's really good that they're trying to preserve the stocks yeah and yeah. Yeah. So, so that's that apart from that it's been a fairly good week really yeah yeah, we've been talking to future guests. So it's all been really, really good. Um, well, we might, you know, say, so we spoke to Lee Bishop today. Uh, for, I know he's a very well-known diver, um, done a lot of serious dives, um, especially like around Botanic. Um, 
and you you name it he's been there and dived at and countless others that we never even heard of yeah Um, but yeah to look out for that conversation in probably about a week's time yes yeah yeah but in the meantime we have got chris foisey that we're speaking to on this episode yeah so chris foisey now we got chris chris on because he came to us via grace marquez who was our previous guest yeah weeks ago and um scuba doo doo i love that instagram title <laughs> she's got one of the best instagram titles ever um who's you know she was an artist and she recommended we chat to chris yeah he's one of her friends and yeah. it's great and uh so you've got the rundown on chris what's the, what so tell us about chris yeah so he's only um you know, a mere youngster, but he's been diving for about 10 years. Uh, he's done a bit of cave diving, technical decompression diving. He's the same age as me, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's a very youthful person. He's been all over the world. Um, he's dived cold water, obviously warm water. And he is really massive on TikTok. Um, he's got over 145,000 followers. Wow. Which is pretty amazing but it really is just producing videos and answering people's questions and all he aims to do is educate and inspire divers so he's and really simple ethic to it and yeah look where he's got yeah well let's not hold back anymore shall we uh get get straight through and talk to chris yeah let's give chris a call so welcome to the Big Scuba podcast. Uh, we've got Ian online and we've got Chris Foisey and mm-hmm. you are based uh, across the pond. So yes, correct. Yeah, I'm here in uh, I'm here in southern Ontario, Canada. Yeah. yeah. So it's a uh, kind of early evening here, 6 p.m. And I guess it's your morning there, is it? Uh, no, it's 1 p.m. here. 1 p.m. It's 1 p.m. now. Yeah. So it's yeah. not too bad. It's like early afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, so welcome to the podcast. And would you like to tell our listeners who you are and how you got into your scuba journey? Perfect. Yeah. So uh like you said, my name is Chris. Um I'm the creator of the Modern Diver channel. Um this year's actually kind of a special year for me. I've been in diving for 10 years now, um, as of uh, a few months ago. And Basically, the way that I got into, into diving was pretty interesting. Um, I finished high school, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't really have a whole lot of kind of motivation of, of where to go and what to do. So I ended up working um, construction for about a year and a half with my dad. He did insurance restoration and I got to do demolition and just break stuff with a hammer, which was awesome. It was a great job to have as a, as a late teenager. And then uh, my family and I went to Dominican Republic. And uh, we were in, uh, I remember sitting by the pool with my mom and uh, I was about 18 at the time. And she was saying, uh, what do you want to do with your life? You know, you can't, uh, you can't break walls forever. And uh, I had always kind of thought about maybe getting into commercial diving and maybe underwater welding and stuff, but I really didn't know anything about it. And actually at the resort in front of us, they were doing a discover scuba in the pool and we were talking about it and stuff. And she was like, Hey, do you, do you think you'd want to try 
went to discover scuba while we're here. And as she said that, the rental regulator first stage at the resort, uh, one of the hoses ruptured and it was a big loud kerfuffle of, of noise and, and chaos and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to, <laughs> my mom was like, oh, she's like, you know, like when we go back home, she's like in, in St. Catharines, the, the town I live in, she's like, there's a store called Dan's Dive Shop. She's like, I've heard of it uh, before. She's like, do you want to go there and check it out? And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's do that. So that, uh, that winter we came home and uh, that spring, I went into the shop and uh, my mom signed me up for my open water course and we got my snorkeling equipment and all that kind of stuff. And um, I started doing my course. We did, uh, it was still early in the winter, so it was too uh, too early in the year to do the checkout dive. So at that time of year, we were doing just the classroom in the pool, of one of the local universities here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did a six week course where it was like one night a week and it was it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And then uh about a month or two later when it started to become spring um i was going in to get my rental equipment and uh fawn my instructor she had mentioned (laughs) the shop was looking for a student and uh to maybe pick up uh, some shifts during the summer so i went through that weekend i did my checkout dives and when i returned my rental equipment i gave them my resume and uh at dan's dive shop uh, dan at the time uh, was still the owner and he uh i remember specifically giving fawn my my resume and he stood up at the desk kind of behind in the office and he's like hey, you're looking for a job? (laughs) And uh, he gave me an interview pretty much right on the spot. And um, I started working there part time. And uh, at the time, I was also, as I mentioned, I was working for my dad. So I, uh, I did kind of a little bit there where I kind of juggled working for my dad as well as working um, at the dive shop. And then I also was working as a, uh, a cook at my stepdad's restaurant as well. So I was juggling three jobs there pretty much from an early age. And then uh, once the dive shop started to pick up, I kind of dropped out of the construction side of things. And I spent a few years being a, a recreational diver at the dive shop, kind of, um, I got into it pretty, pretty quickly. I, that first year I did my open water, my advance to my rescue. And I then um, kind of started pushing forward into, into getting into more serious diving here in Canada. Since we've got the colder waters and we've got the harsher conditions, um, like redundancy and dry suits and double tanks and stuff are all, are all kind of necessary. So I started working my way into that. And then right around, I was maybe diving for about four years. And then I decided I wanted to become a dive master. And um, yeah, from there, I kind of started just doing a mix of doing uh, recreational professional courses and technical courses. And then here I am 10 years later, I'm a full-time employee at the dive shop. I'm a certified uh, cave diver and technical decompression diver. I'm a specialty instructor for Patty. And then um, I'd always really enjoyed underwater videography. Um, ever since I started the shop 10 years ago, I had one of the original GoPro Hero 960 Nakeds. And uh, I had one of those filming. And uh, at the time, uh, uh, I was getting some good footage with it. And and over the last uh, six to eight years or so, I took a lot of footage on trips, but I never really had any kind of like motivation of why I was filming it. I was just filming mm-hmm. it. And then I was showing it to my friends and family. And then I, I had wanted to create kind of a social media channel called, um, I didn't even know what I wanted to call it for a while, but I knew I wanted to do something online with it at some point. And uh, right around fall, uh, Christmas of, of 2019, I decided like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. This is kind of the time to do it. And I, I was starting to kind of, I was looking at stepping away from the restaurant. So I wanted to try and turn diving into a full-time thing. And I uh, started Mon Diver Channel kind of right there in the, in the winter of, of 2019. And I started working a bit on YouTube and I, I sorted out the name and Grace actually uh, helped me quite a bit with, with picking the name of Mon Diver Channel, which was, yeah. which was awesome. And 
so yeah, I started creating content and stuff and then the pandemic happened and then it's kind of neat now, like that first year I really treated Mon Diver as just kind of like a side thing. I just wanted to see where it would go. And I started to create some like YouTube content. I did some reviews, some kind of how to's and different things like that. Um, but I'm sure as you guys know, like to create a YouTube video, it takes a lot of time and effort. There's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into behind the scenes of, of editing content. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, the pandemic happened so that everything went into lockdown and shut down and travel stopped. And I was sitting at home and, uh, I remember I went for dinner with my dad and he was, I was telling him about Mon Diver and he was like, Hey, have you ever, have you ever thought about getting a TikTok account? And I was like, Oh, maybe. Cause I had heard of, uh, I, I knew people around me that used it, but I didn't really have any experience on it myself. And so I think it was like April, April, 2020, I, I created the, my uh, TikTok profile. And for the first couple of months on TikTok, I was just sharing uh, clips from all of the trips I had done over the last six years, which was really great um, because it, it allowed me to relive those trips and those experiences and kind of go through all the the hundreds and hundreds of gigabytes of, of video I had recorded that I just didn't use for anything. Must have been lots. <laughs> it was there was definitely quite a bit of it. So, um, I started posting little clips of of that stuff on on uh, TikTok, which was awesome. And then I started getting these really good comments of people asking questions and stuff. And if if anyone takes a look at my page nowadays, you'll notice that in a lot of ways, Mondiver has kind of turned into like a, a Q and A situation or like an opinion situation where people kind of ask me questions, and then I do my best to help explain it to them and and help give both uh, tips to people who are already certified, people who are looking to get into diving people who um, are in diving, but maybe kind of dropped out of it and are struggling to get back into it. And it's really turned into this whole thing of, of me now uh, just kind of working towards to help inspire like a new, a new generation of divers. Like I'm, I'm pretty young, as I mentioned, I got into diving when I was, when I was 18. Uh, so 10 years later, I'm, I'm 28 now. And I got into diving right out of high school. And I did have a friend or two that, that got into it with me, but then they went to university and they had to, they had to stop diving. And even as an active diver here in Southern Ontario, I do find that there really isn't a whole lot of divers kind of under the age of like 25. You'll mm -hmm. get people that get certified with their parents, maybe as kids, but they don't, they don't really become lifelong kind of divers at that age. So working at the shop and dance dive shop um, here in St. Catharines has been around for a long time. I believe this is like our 47th year in business. So they're, they're wow. actually the, the oldest patty dive shop in Canada. Wow, And we get a lot of customers that come in um, that learned to dive back in the 70s and 80s and talking to them, they had always talked about how they were inspired to get into diving by like Jacques Cousteau and the Jacques Cousteau's uh, Undersea Adventures TV show and the, the Calypso boat sailing around and all those kind of things. And that's what really helped inspired a lot of them. And then when you talk to people now and like kind of, I don't know what really happened, but between kind of 2000 and, and 2010, in a sense, it kind of seems like there wasn't really anything there to really inspire a new, mm. a new generation to kind of get into, to get into it. And um, at this point, I dive with a lot of people older than myself. So I thought kind of, oh, you know what, TikTok might be a, a cool way to kind of reach out to that younger generation and really help to kind of inspire them. And it, it's actually been a lot of fun because I've, I've met both younger individuals and a lot older individuals on that platform. And um it, I'm especially now I'm starting to get a lot of like messages from people now that I've been doing it for like a year and a half of saying hey just let you know I, I recently finished my certification I want to say thank you for inspiring me to do it and that's that's what it's all for right yeah. um I've listened to a couple of your podcasts over the last few days and um I've heard you guys mention the same thing right you guys do other sports and and the whole point of this podcast is you guys want to just help inspire people right and it's, yeah. that's that's what helps give you that um that drive 
and it's great to be an instructor as well because that's that's why I like instructing and I like teaching because I, I really enjoy the um, the fulfillment from inspiring someone into a new sport or hobby. Yeah, and do you find there are lots of young people coming into the diving arena that you're teaching, or is it more the old? Um, here in here in Niagara, we are. We do we do get a, a good amount of people kind of under the age of twenty five, like teenagers and and uh, late teens and stuff like that, or early twenties, kind of getting into diving, but um they it's still it's especially in today's day and age it's really busy right so a lot of those people it depends what their goals are if they're finishing high school and they're trying to go away for school and they're trying to save up for school because they're not going to be able to work while they're in school then it, it can be very limiting for them yeah um to get into it but i have noticed um uh through the tiktok platform and my followers and stuff i've definitely noticed uh, a lot more of the the younger generation looking at getting into it and trying to find a career out of it which is really cool and that's kind of i'm looking at possibly starting a, a series on on my youtube channel of kind of highlighting like different careers in the dive industry and maybe like reaching out to individuals and doing like a little interview or a little episode kind of on their job and how they got into that job and just to kind of help give that younger generation more of a career path so they can kind of just justify the investment of getting into diving yeah. um it is amazing um once you pass your paddy open water you never know what what way it's going to go yeah yeah exactly it's a, it's a path that can take you in many directions and, and you know hopefully sometimes you, uh, even a job and a career in diving and uh, exactly exactly yeah. and it's mm. it's cool at the shop we have one of the big paddy flow charts on the wall that shows like the open water and the specialties and the advance and the specialties and rescue and all that jazz and Patty is only one of the agencies that we teach at the shop. We use Patty for all of our recreational stuff. And then we also have some technical diving instructors that do uh, NAWI and TDI and, and other agencies for, for some of the more overhead technical stuff. And it's cool when I, when I tell someone who comes into the shop and they're inquiring about it and I show them that flow chart and I'm like, by the time you get to five, six years down the road, like you'll find it's kind of like a carve your own adventure. You can really specialize in the type of diving that you find interesting. Yeah. Um, and when you get to a point where you're talking to two experienced divers, you'll realize that they might have the same certifications, but they might have taken a completely different path to get there and totally different experiences getting those certifications. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty cool because it's, it is a global sport because like each region and, and waterway around us all has a different ecosystem and environment. And it's, um, it's cool. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Well, we Sorry, go on. Well, we, we say it on previous podcasts that diving and then it just like it can take you down career paths of all mm. sorts of things. Yeah, it's not just, you know, like you think probably commercial diving, but there's loads of things that you can kind of apply it to. Exactly, exactly. And uh, so, yeah, like for me, I've, like I said, I've been in it for now 10 years. And and uh, once the pandemic happened, I stepped away from the restaurant. So as of the last year and a half, diving has been my sole um career path so between working at the shop and teaching and then now modern diver i'm kind of still balancing three jobs in a sense um <laughs> but it's uh it's a lot of fun and i'm enjoying it it's, it's creating a lot of really cool opportunities um especially with tiktok being such a, a great platform right now for organic reach and to be able to, to reach out to different people and communities kind of worldwide is is unbelievable 
um, and it feels surreal at times because with with TikTok right now, I'm sitting at uh, 145,000 followers, wow. and uh, about 16% of them are in Canada, uh, about 15% of them are in the US, and then I've got uh, I think it was about eight or nine percent in the UK in, in your neck of the woods, and then I've got uh, I've got members I know of in uh, uh, Australia, South Africa, um, Mexico, South America, um, Asia, Germany, Poland. Um, I've got a few different ways that my community can kind of interact with each other. Uh, Discord's another platform that I have a I have a, a presence on. So Discord is um, it's highly used in um, uh, it's used a lot by social media influencers and stuff like that. It's kind of a it's kind of like a forum or it's a way of like a kind of like a Facebook group, but not on Facebook. It's <laughs> it's a way that people can communicate back and forth. So I do have the Mon Diver um, community on Discord, and that's starting to to pass now over a hundred members. And there's active people on there uh, every day that communicate. And there's uh, I've got moderators in the UK, I've got moderators in in the US, I've got members in that from Australia, Germany. Um, all of those countries I just mentioned, and it's it's really cool when when someone asks in that uh, in that forum, they'll ask a question about dive equipment. You'll get this feedback from divers from all over the world at all different levels, and uh, I have both experienced professionals in there, like instructors and CCR instructors that are in there, and I've also got uh, uh, new people that are signing up that are are marking themselves as uh, surface dwellers, which is what we call people learning to, to dive in a sense, mm -hmm. and uh, people inquiring about learning to dive, which is really cool. So it's neat to help these people kind of communicate and, and connect because diving in some ways can very much be, you can really get stuck in a bubble of your region, right? Where if you deal with just your local dive shop and, and how that, that kind of uh, that dive shop and how people dive in your region, you can kind of start to forget that diving in Canada might be totally different than diving in the UK, right? And sometimes North American divers who learn everything in Imperial and, and uh, PSI and feet, and then they go to, to somewhere overseas and it's, they get a bit of culture shock just from the diving being a bit different. Your cylinders sometimes can be in different shapes. So they're different pressures and everything's in metric meters and, and, and uh, bar. So it's pretty cool to help kind of connect um, different people from all over the world through uh, both the videos on TikTok or the community within Discord. And uh, I'm starting to get a bit more, I'm trying to find more time to, to create more stuff on YouTube as well, but that's, that's a time sink. Um, it's, it's a, um, it certainly does take the time up with, with YouTube. So um, what, so what sort of diving do you like? Because your uh, climate is there, there is very similar to ours, isn't it? You know, Correct. It's yeah. part of our, climate here is you is dry suit diving for the um, most part yeah so because we're i'm, I'm here in southern ontario so we're, we're in st Catharines. so i work for dance dive shop we're pretty much located right between lake ontario and lake erie um i live about 10 minutes away from niagara falls and um the great lakes in general do stay pretty cold um at depth um even during the summer when you start to get below 30 meters or, or 100 feet you're going to start to hit water temperatures of about 40 fahrenheit or about six celsius so it's it's yeah. definitely cool um the shore diving we have around here like we dive the niagara river uh which feeds niagara falls we dive both the upper river and the lower river uh we also dive um some other kind of quarries and waterways around here like right now we're in the middle of early august and i was diving yesterday and the water temperature was uh 75 fahrenheit or about 23 celsius yeah. Um, and that was above 30 feet. So you definitely get the full temperature swing here. So for the last couple of weeks, I've been diving in a, in a wetsuit. I'm just in a five millimeter wetsuit. Yeah. Um, but if I'm going deeper than 60 feet, then at that point I would switch into a dry suit. Um, mm -hmm. 
so it just kind of depends on where where we are the dive season here in canada um, especially for dry suit divers doesn't really end it can pretty much go year round um we do get a pretty harsh winter kind of between mid January and middle of March where some of the local waterways here will freeze. Um, but on the lake, some of the locations that have uh, continuously moving water, like waves and winds, like especially near mm -hmm. Toronto, there's one park that we go to that doesn't freeze. So usually there's at least a couple times in February and March that a bunch of us crazy ones will go out and it'll be like <laughs> minus, yeah. minus, yeah, it would be like minus 15 Celsius on the surface and like one degree underwater. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll go out and do a dive. Um, but I really enjoy the Great Lakes. Um, it doesn't matter uh where i go in the world i have done a lot of diving kind of around the world as well not just here in canada but no matter where i go in the world i always say like after a week or two i'm like you know what i want to go back to the great lakes i just i'm most comfortable in fresh water i'm really comfortable in my dry suit i dive double cylinders primarily um as mentioned we do a lot of decompression dives on the some of the shipwrecks and stuff around here which is really cool um i did get into cave diving a few years ago so we went to northern florida and mexico and did some caves and that but since oh. the pandemic and travel restrictions um that's kind of uh that's kind of been put aside for now um i've been trying to find some caves here in ontario um in theory our geology is correct it's just uh there hasn't been any caves really discovered yet um but i really do enjoy that freshwater diving um, during the summer of this time of year, you can get a lot of really impressive freshwater fish. So like in the Great Lakes, you can get uh, sturgeon, you can get salmon, you can get trout, you can get some of those really big game game fish that are, are pretty rare to see. And then when you dive in the rivers, like this time of year, you're just surrounded by different bass and sunfish and freshwater drums and little crayfish. And, and the freshwater ecosystem is, is really cool. Um, and here in the Great Lakes, like the biggest thing with shipwrecks is you'll never get bored of diving shipwrecks because the Great Lakes have an estimated between six and 10,000 shipwrecks. Really? And yeah, there's right. so many shipwrecks in the Great Lakes. And because it's fresh water, they're all- They never preserved. think about building boats that float. Uh, well, you know what it is? What it, most of them have sunk uh, all in the after 1800s. Like, you know, a couple <laughs> hundred, they think, right, let's build a boat. <laughs> That is not <laughs> I know. Well, what it is, the Great Lakes are massive, right? Like they're, they're really big and they are heavily affected by winter storms. And if you look at a shipwreck's chart um, of where the wrecks are located, you're going to notice that most of them are located within kind of like a, a five kilometer edge of the edge of the lake um, like they're all kind of scattered around the side of it they're not really sunken in the middle and what it is is in the late season like starting in October November out of nowhere you can get these really massive winter storms and mm -hmm. on the Great Lakes you can still get uh, 10 meter high waves like you do in the ocean um, because oh, the winds can be so meter. strong and it's such a large body of water and what happens is like in the in the in the ocean when a ship is caught in a big storm they they should go in the direction of the wind in the direction of the waves right so they don't get blindsided by a wave you don't want to you don't want your boat yeah. to get hit from the yeah. side but the problem with the great lakes is you go 50 to 100 kilometers in any direction at some point you're going to have to turn and that's where a lot of these ships have actually sunk where they would they would see land and they had to turn and as they turned they would then get blindsided by a wave and it would then capsize the boat and it would then sink and most of the uh, same thing when you look at the chart of the names of the shipwrecks and the dates that they sunk they all sink usually between that kind of October November December and it's you can just tell it's uh, it's one captain that was really trying to get one more one more <laughs> shipment out of the season um and unfortunately kind of pushing the envelope and then when you get up to some of the more northern lakes like uh like here on Georgian Bay there's a really popular spot called Tomori um it's actually an underwater national park here ah yeah a lot of uh yeah so 
Grace was uh, uh, diving there a few weeks ago. Correct. Yeah, I was. I was on that trip with her as well. Yeah, our shop. Uh, our shop leads, leads a trip there usually about twice a year. You was there as well. Yeah, I was there as well. All yeah. Right, cool. So yeah, super cool trip and uh, really clear water, great conditions. Um, but most of those shipwrecks um, have crashed into islands, and it was because mm-hmm. during those storms it threw them off track of where they were, and that was well before GPSs, and they didn't know where they were really. It was just kind of plotting off of a chart, estimating where they are, and it's unfortunately most of those shipwrecks sunk due to just poor decisions of the of the crew as far as what they could accomplish that season. Um, but again, these storms can also be really, really um, sporadic. Like you can, you can watch the weather for a week or two. Now, even with modern equipment, you can watch the weather for a week or two, be like, okay, it looks great. We're going to plan it. And then within 48 hours, 72 hours, the weather will turn and it, it can create its own little microclimate storm. Um, they're not necessarily hurricanes, but you do occasionally get very close to hurricane conditions on the Great Lakes um, with, uh, with the winds and the, the cold fronts coming from northern Canada, mixing with the warm fronts coming from the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. And you'll start to get, uh, you'll start to get a, twist, um, a twist of the air. And even in North America, you might have heard there's, a, there's this thing called the Tornado Alley, which is like a big strip. It goes mostly through the U.S. of where all the tornadoes are, are kind of more common to form and we're right at the tip of tornado alley and that's mm-hmm. uh, I would I would say that the great lakes heavily in- influence that because it's the cold water it's the cold winds from northern canada then blowing over the lake that then mix with that warm weather coming up from the us that creates that and yeah you can just get these really gnarly storms on on the great lakes because they often um, go up the side of florida don't they and then just go then go up straight up yeah, those hurricanes form more in like the Caribbean. So those ones will form with uh, the warm, kind of like the, t- the seasonal changes and stuff like that. And those form kind of more in the ocean. Whereas, uh, yeah, ours, that's why they're kind of like an inland hurricane in a sense. Like I'm pretty far from the coast, like even to New York City, uh, which would be probably the closest I can get to the to the East Coast is, is about a nine hour drive from where wow. I'm yeah. right here. Um, so we're, we're pretty inland um, for sure. But we've got just this massive five bodies of water near us yeah, so um, lucky <laughs> yeah exactly so it is cool it is it is nice it is it is really uh unique to dive here in the great lakes america um, and canada is just it's just huge great big countries aren't they and then there's yeah. our little there's the little uk you know yeah wow. i was joking i was joking about that with a friend because like at the uh i've dove in most of the great lakes but i've never dove in lake superior and i've never dove in lake michigan and uh this uh at the end of this month my wife and i were actually going to do a trip up to thunder bay which is still here in ontario it's the same province um but it's a 19 hour drive north um and we're still in the same province that's crazy that doesn't even take us 19 hours to get to scapper yeah yeah Um, (laughs) and that's for us that's a long way away you know for us yeah, yeah this is definitely a long drive for in 19 hours i can get to i can get to disney world in florida um so and it's so i can drive from from southern canada all the way to the to the middle of florida or i can drive northwest and i can make it just to the tip of lake superior just before we start to cross into the other provinces um it truly is a massive massive country here in canada wow. so diverse as well so you can go from super one diverse to yeah 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 and the thing too like you have um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the Canadian Canadian population is around 36 million people, I believe. So we're pretty small. Um, but 90% of the Canadian population That's half our population, by the way. I know, yeah, yeah, exactly. And we've got a massive, massive, we have one of the largest countries in the world. And um, 
80% of the Canadian population lives within 100 kilometers of the U.S. border. So we're all really heavily densely mm -hmm. populated in this like little pocket of population kind of along the edge of the U.S. And then when you do get a chance to drive north, like even going from Toronto, which is like the mega city here in, in Canada, mm -hmm. if you drive three hours north, you're in the middle of nowhere. Okay. Um, everyone. Yeah, exactly. And it's whereas the US isn't like that. Like when you drive to Florida, it's totally different. When you drive to the Florida, you're you're just continuously driving through like these tiny big cities. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh here, especially being so close to Toronto, it's just like one huge mega city called the GTA, which which refers to like a whole bunch of different regions around Toronto. GTA stands for the Greater Toronto Area. And that's where I think it's like 40% of the Canadian population is in Southern Ontario. How do you explain that? Because I was thinking Grand Theft, Grand Theft Auto. I know, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do always think that. That's um, a whole different thing. Yeah, exactly. Whole different thing. Whole different thing. But it's uh, it's cool. Oh, come here. on, like, you, you know what? Gem is doing this over her head. Now, come <laughs> on, Gem, you know what Grand Theft Auto is. Yeah, you know that game. You know, everybody knows that game. Um, Right, Gemma, Gemma doesn't watch films. Uh, okay. And, I missed out on the Do you know what? Gemma's never even watched Star Wars. I uh, have okay. one of them. Who, who gets to 50 and never seen, never seen Star Wars? Right? Yeah, you've had lots of opportunities to get out to it. There's only been like 11 theatrical releases of them. Um, there's so oh. many of them out there. But um, no, and diving pop culture is pretty cool as well. Because even even in video games nowadays, I would say that's actually one thing that is starting to inspire some some new people to get into diving. Was actually it's funny that you brought up GTA. GTA Five actually has a really good um, scuba diving section in the grand campaign of it, um, and it's it's pretty accurate. And I'll give them credit; that game actually does a good job of representing what it feels like to kind of be underwater. But there's uh, about halfway through the campaign, you have to do this kind of James Bond style mission where you you get into the scuba equipment and you have to break into a lab and it's it's pretty cool and then there's another spot where you can unlock a submarine um wow. as part of one of your vehicles yeah. and and i do actually I've, I've played video games all my life and uh, there's a lot of video games that have some pretty big diving sections in them and some of them are accurate some of them are not accurate at all um but it, it's sometimes it's cool to to see how a game will kind of portray scuba diving to someone um but GTA, I'll give a thumbs up. GTA does a pretty decent job. Which makes me laugh how um, Hollywood portrays scuba diving. Like the classic, is that 47 metres down? Yep, yep, the, 47 metres down. The girls are fighting off sharks, aren't they? And they're down, In they've got, it seems, on one tank, infinite amount yeah. of oxygen. That That's what bugs me the most of that movie. They're, they're at 47 metres in the water up. for like an hour. Yeah, um, on one tank, freaking out and doing a full face mask. <laughs> yeah, then they just go up. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, you can do yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, it's not that great. There's another really popular game um, right now called Subnautica. And uh, it's a game where uh, you're kind of like a scientist. It's like a sci-fi game where you're, it's a sci-fi survival game. So you're a scientist that was like, uh, that gets like um, crash lands on an alien planet. But you were also kind of going to that alien planet to, to meet up with a, a group of scientists that were already there you kind of like crash land on the planet and you're stumbling across like their broken labs and all this kind of stuff. And most of that game takes place underwater. And it's another really, really cool example of, of how a video game can portray the underwater world. But that game drives me nuts because uh, you can go to ridiculous depths in that game. Once 
you upgrade your equipment, like I'm talking like six, 800 meters. Um, <laughs> and they call your air supply oxygen, just O2, which isn't accurate at all either. Um, and there's no, uh, yeah, there's no repercussion for how quickly you come up. And there's, there's one device that you can unlock pretty early on in the game. Whereas if you're like 50 meters underwater and all of a sudden you're, it's like screaming at you, like low O2, you're about to die. It's like a little balloon on your wrist that you can like turn a knob and then it inflates and it brings you to the surface really quick. Which, <laughs> again, if you're a certified diver, you're going to know that that's not how that works. You can't, you got to take your time coming up. You're going to have an air embolism and expanding gas that you have to manage. Mm. Um, but video games can still be a lot of fun, um, especially uh, ones like that, that really do inspire. I actually had a customer come into the store the other day that was a gamer looking at getting into diving. And he said that he was playing Subnautica over the last year and it made him really want to get into it. So well, um, that's good if it inspires it people to, kind of think about diving but exactly right it's just they some of them need to be a bit more accurate um but you need to have fun too i'm just looking at your uh tiktok account mm -hmm. and, uh, some of the photos on there the visibility is pretty good aren't they most of these have all these been taken up in the lakes a good chunk of them have. So, um, yeah, in the Great Lakes, we do get some really good visibility. Uh, this time of year, doing the shore diving, like in the in the recreational waterway that we dive a lot, um, visibility this time of year is only going to range from maybe four to, to 10 meters, like nothing crazy. Um, but when you get into the Great Lakes, as soon as you get below the thermocline and you get into that colder water, you can easily start to get 30 meters of visibility. So 30, meter, wow. uh, 30 meters, 100 feet of visibility. And... Um, it's even more uh, cool to dive on this this hundred foot this hundred foot long thirty meter long shipwreck from the eighteen hundreds and then be able to see the whole thing at once. Mm -hmm. And in the Great Lakes, there's no there's really not any sort of marine life that grows on these shipwrecks um, at depth. So they're they're not covered in coral. They're not they're not really artificial reefs. Like they're just like this shipwreck frozen in time. Mm. laying in a desert at the bottom of the lake. Um, the only thing you see there is we've got an invasive species of mussel here here called zebra mussels that uh, kind of attach themselves to to the to the wood and they actually filter the water so it's kind of they're bad but they're good at the same time because they yeah. can make the visibility a bit better but other than zebra mussels you can dive those shipwrecks multiple times and never see a fish on it um whereas when you dive the shallower waters that are a lot warmer this time of year that's where you'll get massive schools of sunfish and and uh rock bass and you'll see these really big carp and sturgeon so it's cool it's it is cool and it it does change on the season and um, yeah, it's neat. I really, I really enjoy diving here in Canada. So you'll never get bored. No, I never get bored. That's, that's the thing with, especially with all these travel restrictions and stuff. Like I, I have no shortage of, of dive sites around me um, to go check out and stuff. Um, but it is still cool to, to get experience in other parts of the world as well. Mm. Um, the shop uh, before the pandemic, we tried to do a trip usually once a month. Um, so during the summer months, we would do trips up to like Tobemori or, the St. Lawrence River here in in, uh, in Canada and some of the other Great Lakes and some of these big shipwrecks and destinations. And then in the winter months, that's where we would do our international travel. And so I've, I've done diving in the Caribbean. I've done diving all throughout the U.S. I've done diving in Mexico. Uh, my wife and I went to the Red Sea for our honeymoon. We went to Egypt oh. and we, we dove the Red Sea, which was really cool. Um, uh, back in 2016, we did a trip out to Micronesia, Truck Lagoon, which was a lot of fun. Um, as I've mentioned, uh, we've done some cave diving in, in, as well as Mexico and Florida as well. So yeah, I've got a pretty good kind of experience uh, kind of around, oh, we did great white shark diving off the coast of Mexico, uh, 2019 mm -hmm. as well. That was a lot of fun. Oh, that was. Um, 
yeah, so it's it's cool. I've definitely got a, a decent amount of experience in my belts as far as locations, but no matter where I go, I still really enjoy the Great Lakes. Um, and um, does your wife dive? She does, yeah. So yeah. my wife dives. Um, when we first met, she wasn't a diver, but she was actually uh, uh, interested in getting into diving, so it kind of worked out well that uh, we bumped into each other, and I was already an instructor at that point, so uh, me and her got to do her course kind of privately and stuff, which was a lot of fun, and I remember uh, we, I taught her to dive here in Canada and it was kind of late in the season. And uh, I took her to one of the local quarries where you have the thermocline where there's warmer water on top of the colder water and uh, super warm on the surface. We get down about six meters and we hit a thermocline where the water temperature dropped like 15 Celsius in a matter of a, a foot. Um, Cause it was a, a spring flood. It was a spring fed quarry. It's super cold. And I'll never forget the look she gave me when I took her into that colder water. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't super pumped and uh, we got through the course and we dove a bit here in Canada um, and uh, she enjoyed it but we, we didn't do it a whole lot and then once we got married and we decided to uh, to go visit her family in the Ukraine which is where she's originally from um, since we were over there it was like okay let's go let's go to Egypt for our actual honeymoon and let's go do the let's go dive the Red Sea for five days and yeah. Uh, we went down to the Red Sea and we were diving on the reef and I taught her advanced course there um, as well. And that's where I would say she really kind of fell in love with diving. And then that next year after that, um, she uh, we did a ton of dives. I got her into a dry suit and I got uh, I got her diving with me in Tobemori and the Thousand Islands and uh, the local waterways and stuff like that, which was awesome. So uh, she does dive as well. Right now, uh, she's a, a rescue certified diver with a couple different specialties under her belt as well. Yeah. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you still log your dives? Um, kind of. So if I had, if I had to estimate, um, I'm probably sitting around like 1400, 1500 dives, um, under my belt. Um, I do have a, a, a pretty thick kind of binder log book that has, uh, my first three or four log books, which, which probably went up to the first 300 some odd dives of, of proper logs with locations and names and, and little notes to myself and stuff like that. Yeah. And then once I started dive mastering, um, at that point, I just started being in the water way more than, than before. So it just, at this point, I do have a dive record but it's just a digital record from a computer. I just, I kind of like offload the record from my computer every now and then. So I can look at all my dives, but it's just stats like date, time, location, or date, time, depth, temperature. I don't really have too much information other than that, but I can easily say 98% of my dives have all been here in in Southern Ontario. Yeah. Let's talk um, dive kit for a moment then. Mm -hmm. So dry suit, what do you, what dry suit do you use? Yep. So I use, uh, I have a dry suit. Um, I, for the longest time I was using DUI dry suits. Um, I've owned two DUI diving, um, unlimited international. They're based out of uh, San Diego. Um, Mm -hmm. so I've used their suits for many years, love them. Um, I, I really enjoy those suits, uh, great quality. And, uh, with teaching I'm I'm pretty rough on my gear, especially this time of year, I pretty much just live out of the back of my Jeep. So, um, my gear doesn't really get maintained the way it should. So I do have to replace things probably a little bit more than the average user. And uh, I've dove, uh, my last suit from DUI was a CLX 450 and I absolutely loved it. Um, and I needed to replace it. And I've already dove that, I've already had that suit. I know how it works and I know it's the best, but at the same time, I wanted to kind of build some experience in other brands, uh, as well as to give me some stuff to talk about on the Mon Diver channel, kind of get into yeah. gear reviews of different equipment. So um, about three months ago, actually, I got myself uh, a fourth element fourth element Argonaut 2 
Um, so wow. that's, that's the dry suit I'm diving right now is the fourth element. And uh, I use the fourth element underwear as well. I'm using the zero therm base layer, the X core vest and the halo 3d, uh, underwear. That's that underwear actually I've had since I got my first dry suit. Um, so my fourth element underwear has, has lived through, uh, two dry suits. Um, so I decided to yeah, be like, you know what, nah, let me give the, let me give the fourth element suit a try. So, um, <laughs> it was pretty cool. So that's where I got that a couple months ago and I've been really happy with it. I did the biomap sizing for it, which was. Uh, where you take the you take the two photos and send it to them mm -hmm. um, that's totally different than than most of the other brands so I was pretty curious on how that was going to work out um, but uh, I'm, I'm happy with the fit it, it really does fit like a custom fit suit and yeah uh, I, I like I like it yeah right so uh wetsuit right now i'm using a henderson aqualock five millimeter um which is nice um i've, I've used i've owned aqualock suits uh, a couple times over the last few years so those are really nice and then actually this last course i was teaching um fourth element um, i'm pretty good friends with our sales rep uh michelle in the u.s for fourth element and um our shop does a lot of fourth element uh, sales mm -hmm. and they recently sent us a seven millimeter xenos one of their new wetsuits yeah. So I was diving that for the last two weekends, actually, uh, the, the seven millimeter Zenos. You think? And uh, it was quite nice, actually. It's definitely not as easy to get into as a like a Henderson suit. Um, thick suit. But it, it is a thick suit, but Fourth Element uses a really high quality neoprene. They use a really dense neoprene, which is nice because in the long run, it means it's not going to get thinner over time. And, and their suits, I would say, last longer in the long run. Whereas my Henderson suit is, uh, it's easy to get in and out of, but I've had it now for about two years and it started off as a five mil. And I think I can already tell it's starting to get a bit thinner. I was a bit colder <laughs> last time I dove it than I thought I'd be. So the fourth element suits with that denser neoprene, it's kind of a trade-off, right? Denser neoprene mm. will, will last longer and it's going to help keep you warmer, but it means it's a lot harder to get into it. Mm. Whereas uh, softer neoprene is way easier to get in and out of, but it just means it's not going to stay as warm for as long. <laughs> Especially yeah. when you've got hairy legs and you're trying to get the thing on. You know, uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. That, that Especially with them doing this like uh, skin in seals now, right? Where they have the smooth neoprene on the, on the inside of the wrists and then, and the legs, those are, those are some of the hardest seals to get on, but they're going to give you the most warmth in the water when diving that suit. I, um, I find kind of virtually bathing in jollop helps. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So don't you get to move it up a little bit? <laughs> yeah. Ian's been diving in a semi-dry, an O3 semi-dry the last uh, time we were diving. So yeah. Okay. But, although yeah. it's nice and warm, it's yeah, a bit of a feat to get into. <laughs> yeah. And like the water temperatures here, like even wetsuit divers in Canada um, around here usually have a dive season of about end of May till around end of October. Um, so that's kind of when a wetsuit diver can comfortably dive in Ontario. And then after that, it starts to get too cold on the surface. Cause the issue with like any wetsuit, including the semi-dry wetsuits are you have to strip down to your bathing suit in the parking lot. Mm. And when the wind and the rain and the snow that it makes you cold before you even start the dive. The old um, wind in the willows certainly does. Yeah. So that's where the, that's where the dry suits nice. Like for me, I have, I have those layers, like my base layer and my vest and my full one piece, because when I leave my house, um, I'll leave my house in my dry suit underwear and I'll drive to the dive site in my dry suit underwear and then I'll get out of my car and then I'm already in my winter coat in a sense and then I'll put my dry suit on over top of that I'll go for my dive come out take the dry suit off and I drive home and I'm dry it's perfect yeah. um, I don't have to I don't have to strip down in the parking lot and freeze um, but it's the water's still warm enough like I definitely I have dove in a wetsuit in in late December here in, in southern Ontario with uh, mm. a couple inches of snow on the ground 
and it was it was warm underwater it was just really cold on the surface yeah <laughs> okay yeah. so what are your plans for the future have you got kind of a, a short-term and a long-term plan with your diving um not necessarily like so this i really do enjoy uh where i'm at in patty as, as i mentioned i'm a specialty instructor so I, I do a lot of open water courses advanced courses i finished up a patty rescue diver course last night actually i had a group of divers over the last two weeks and i really do enjoy teaching those recreational courses because I, I like uh as i've mentioned before i like kind of talking to i like talking to someone in the shop coming in inquiring about learning to dive and then convincing them to sign up for a course that I'm teaching and then seeing them grow through the course and then graduate and then sign up for their next like I really enjoy being there for all that those steps of the way so as far as instructing goes at the moment I think I'm, I'm pretty comfortable where I am but maybe in the future I could see myself getting into more technical training um, it's just being able to find uh, enough time in the day to be able to to kind of teach the entry-level stuff and also teach the tech stuff. I, I, I would like to still be able to teach the recreational, whereas sometimes tech instructors, when they move into tech, they're like, I'm not teaching recreational ever again. Um, so for me, I, I still like both. Um, I'd like to do that. Um, I am in the middle of my extended range Trimix course at the moment. So um, that course is, is teaching me how to use um, a hypoxic mixture of Trimix to dive a bit deeper. So Right now, the max depth I've dove to in the Great Lakes, as well as abroad, is uh, 200 feet or about 60 meters. And then uh, this course will certify me to, uh, I think it certifies me to 70 meters, so about mm -hmm. 220 feet, 240 feet. And uh, there's a lot of really cool shipwrecks that are on my bucket list here in, in Canada at that depth that I'd really like to get out to. So that's what I'm working towards right now, like personal kind of growth is I'm, I'm just kind of uh, working forward on my, my technical decompression stuff. And then I'm also just growing modern divers. So I've, I've uh, been pumping out a lot of different content and, and stuff like that. In the fall, once teaching slows down here, I've got a lot of videos and, and stuff that I've, that I want to create for the channel. As I mentioned, I want to do something with uh, careers. Um, I've talked to a couple of different companies that, that do diving jobs that have talked, that have showed interest of maybe pairing up when we go to do something like that, collaborating. Mm. And uh, I've got uh, a lot of like gear reviews and stuff at the shop that I work for. We do teach more kind of modern progressive style of diving. So we teach everything in back plates and wings and, and the long hose DIR regulator system, mm -hmm. everything from open water onward um, is taught in back plates and long hose. Yeah. And uh, it definitely is. Uh, um, it's not necessarily the mainstream way of diving in the recreational world. So a lot of my followers aren't necessarily familiar with that. So they do seem to really enjoy the content that I, I, when I, when I create content around how that system works or why we do that or how to get into that type of equipment. Um, I did a video on YouTube um, a couple months ago called the ultimate guide to back plates and wings. And uh, it's like a 35 minute video it took me forever to make. It probably took me like two weeks to, to create that video. And um it's going really well though. It's, it's started to pick up a lot of traction and stuff. It's up to like 6,000 views, I believe now. And, and I, I get DMs from it all the time of people asking questions and it's, it's definitely um, the world's changing and the dive industry's changing. And I think that's a more modern way to approach diving nowadays is to go mm. to a back plate, go to the long hose. It's just, it's a more modular system. So it's a better buy for the, the individual, right? With a back plate BCD, if your harness starts to wear out, you can replace just the harness. If you're diving and you accidentally puncture your bladder, you can replace just the bladder. Whereas yeah. like jacket style BCDs, which have their clips, um, their plastic you, um, clips and stuff, they're, they're not replaceable or repairable. Yeah. When you say um, uh, backplate, you're talking about, mm -hmm. the, you're not talking about a twin set. Uh, so a backplate and wing can be dove in both a single tank and a double tank configuration. Yeah, but I'm, so, 
Are you talking? Are you talking about you, you're diving in a twin set or? So for me, the our uh, our open water students will dive in a single tank uh, set up in a back plate and wing. So we usually use like the Halcyon system. So they've got their their metal stainless steel plate. They've got their uh, their DIR style harness, just the webbing. They've got a single tank wing, so about 40 pounds of lift, and then um, a single tank adapter, and they set it up. For myself, um, I when I teach in the pool, I'm obviously in a single configuration, but when I do open water stuff, I am normally actually in my doubles, uh, my twin tanks. Yeah. Um, and the, the nice thing about learning to dive in a backplate and long hose from day one is it's your hose configurations and your harness are the exact same for a single tank or a double tank. The only difference between my configuration in the water with my students during their checkout dives is I've just got a larger air capacity and I've got the one extra first stage. But as far as them looking at me from the front, my harness is the same. My regulator configuration is the same. So I can still demo the skills to them. No problem. Um, but it does um, allow me to respond to emergencies in a, in a much safer way, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, especially here in cold water, you, you have a high chance of free flow, right? If, if divers aren't using high quality regulators, you, there's a really good chance of a regulator free flowing or freezing. And because the Great Lakes can have winds and there's sometimes currents and it can be choppy, if you're on a shipwreck and the mooring block is at the bow of the shipwreck and you're at the stern of the shipwreck and there's an emergency, with the standard short hose configuration, it's kind of designed as an open water where you just kind of go up, right? You kind of, you have an emergency, you start to ascend up, but then you surface far away from the boat and then you can get caught in the currents and the boat has to wait for the other divers to come up. And then you start to kind of drift out into the lake. Yeah. Whereas with the long hose configuration, because you've got a seven foot hose um, as your primary reg, when you donate that to a diver who's out of air, you've got enough room to be able to swim comfortably all the way back to the line and then come back up the line and the long hose configuration really comes from uh, the overhead training um, so that's the same, same type of hose configuration uh, shipwreck penetration divers will use and cave divers will use because it's if you're inside of a cave or a shipwreck you need to be able to swim single file Whereas um, with the short hose configuration, if someone was to run out of air and you have to swim through a doorway, the yeah. two of you can't swim through a door shoulder to shoulder. There's not an, you don't, you're not giving yourself enough um, mobility, um, maneuverability yeah. to move yourself through the water. So that's why we like to, to teach the way that we do. And um, that's kind of some of the bias. Do a lot of your students go on to tech dive then? Um, a good, a good amount of them do, um, especially cause they're exposed to it around us. Like we, when we do those big trips to Tobemori, like there's the trip itself is based around recreational depths, but some of those dives have like walls where you can get to really deep, um, where you can get to deeper spots. So when these divers are taking their recreational advanced open water certification, half the boat is like advanced open water divers. The other half of the boat is like technical divers getting ready to do a tech dive. And that exposes them to what that world looks like and they they see the gear and it looks really cool and they hear about how like the students went down to uh 30 meters and got to see like the drop off of the cliff but they didn't get to actually they didn't get a chance to go all the way down whereas these technical divers are coming out of the water and talking about what they saw and that helps inspire them to, to really move forward and when you learn the basics in a backplate and long hose configuration, when you move to tech, you're, you're just learning the extra additional steps of dive planning and task loading additional equipment. You're not having to relearn the basics again. Yeah. Whereas if you go from a jacket short hose configuration, 
to then try to get into tech, you first have to learn how to do everything in a backplate and, and how to do everything in a long hose reg configuration. You have to retrain your muscle memory um, to then start building on top of that. So yeah, most of the schools in the UK, um, I say most, because I, obviously I don't know this is, you know, for all, but um, most of what I've seen uh, in training has they just get people started with a BCD with a short hose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I haven't, I haven't come across anyone um, who's go straight into a wing because a lot of people don't mm -hmm. like um, the wing setup because the way they, they sit in the water, in the water. and, out, and it out, comes out down surface. And it comes down to a bit of, of how, how much that shop deals with backplates and, and their mm -hmm. understanding of it as well. Like a lot of times if a diver is, because the thing with the backplate is because it's all modular, right? There's a million and one ways you can configure your BCD. And it's really important to understand the type of diving you plan to do and the type of equipment you plan to use because mm -hmm. your wing, for example, the air bladder can come in different uh, lift capacities. So they start at 20 pounds and they go 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 40 pounds. When you get yeah. into double cylinders, they start to get to 50 pounds and 60 pounds. And if somebody has a wing, which is too large for the type of tank that they're using and they have it fully inflated, it's they that can cause them to kind of push them forward on the mm -hmm. surface. But yeah. if they have a wing rated for the type of diving they're doing, if they have a smaller wing or they just don't have it inflated a hundred percent of the way, it will sit a lot better kind of on the surface. So it just comes down to getting used to it and just, and having proper instruction of how it differs in one way to another. And the buoyancy skills in a sense can be a bit trickier on a backplate as well. Like in a, in a jacket, you can do the Buddha hover where they kind of go vertical and, and kind of Buddha hover in place. But yeah. the issue is in a lot of real world conditions, especially here in freshwater, you can't always do that position because we have a really sensitive bottom. Mm -hmm. So it's important to, to stay in trim um, all the time. And same thing for overhead environments, like in, in the hallway of a shipwreck or the hallway or the, the, um, the main tunnel of a cave, you don't have the room to go vertical. You have to stay horizontal and you have to make sure your fins don't touch the bottom. Yeah. And the way that a backplate works is when you're, you're in trim and that bladder kind of like donut, like kind of tacos around the tank. And it really helps keep you stable in that horizontal position. But yeah. if you try to go into a vertical position in a backplate, the entire balance and trim is completely off. So yeah. there's definitely pros and cons to both systems. And you just have to understand what, the one system was designed for and and how to use it in a sense and how to tweak it based on the environment you're diving in yeah i, um, I dive uh, and say so does Gemma. you know we dive with bcds yeah. mm -hmm. um I, I can dive with a twin set and uh, I, I actually really like i, I like that feeling because mm -hmm. you feel more uh Stable. freedom in a yeah wing, don't you and uh, mm -hmm. i do like that and uh, mm -hmm. it's always good having plenty of air as well under the water. But, the plenty of air, uh, and that it helps give you a, a sense of security too. Like uh, it helps give you that kind of confidence of if there was an emergency down here, you've got with a set of doubles, you've got your two first stages. So if you're one reg free flows, you can just reach back, yeah. turn off your primary reg, switch to your your necklace, and you're breathing from the other first stage, and mm -hmm. you're still breathing from both tanks at the same time. Yeah. So you were able to solve the problem on your own. And then you've got the redundancy there as well with the isolator valve in the middle, which is kind of behind your head. If you were in an overhead environment and you hit your tank off the roof and you, you broke the tank knob or you busted the, the burst disc and the tank itself was compromised, you can reach back, you can isolate the doubles, one tank will bleed off and you can then fall back to the other one. Mm -hmm. And you've got, you've got 
emergency management on your own kit without having to rely on the person beside you. And having the person beside you, having that redundancy in them as well means that when you when you go into the water and you do one of those serious dives, um, there's a lot of emergency equipment there that can be utilized, um, which makes it a lot safer. And that's the thing, like the, the technical diving and overhead diving um, has risks and there's definitely um, uh, risk management that needs to take place. But as long as you plan for emergencies and you're prepared for emergencies, um, technical diving and, and cave diving can be very safe if the rules are followed, followed properly. Yeah. Have you tried uh, rebreathers or side mount? I've done uh, I've done rebreathers in a pool. Um, I'm definitely now that I'm starting to get into that really deeper depth with uh, with helium and trimix uh, mixtures. I'm definitely starting to get to the point where uh, I probably should look at getting into a rebreather, uh, just because the gas bill of helium is is not cheap. Um, I haven't done any side mount myself. Um, I just don't really have an application for it. And um, I know if I get into side mount or try side mount, I'm going to have to buy a whole new set of equipment. Um, <laughs> so I'm trying to avoid the inevitable. At some point, I will probably get into it. But uh, I think I'll make the jump to a rebreather before side mount. Um, wow. Personally, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's cool, though. But that's the thing. When you start to get into the deeper depths and you're starting to go past 60 meters, like that's where your air consumption really starts to increase. So having, I've got these massive tanks for when I do dives that deep, but it's just, they're so impractical on the surface. Whereas a rebreather can get away with doing that dive with a lot smaller. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, rebreather still, if you're diving a rebreather properly, you should bring bailout gas, right? Just in case your rebreather has a malfunction yeah. and a rebreather might sit smaller on your back, but you, you're going to have to have two or three cylinders hanging off your chest. Um, so you kind of balancing the two, right? It's kind of, I, I'm definitely at that cusp where I think a, a rebreather is, is close in my future. Mm. well it's exciting yeah yeah exactly it's, it's exciting and that's the thing too it's always good to move forward right I'm, i've been in diving for 10 years and I'm, I'm i like to think i'm pretty experienced but i i wouldn't say i'm i'm anywhere near the top of where i i see myself in the long run i've got a lot to learn and i've got a lot to do and i've got a lot to experience so um it's good to just keep moving forward and challenge yourself it's right? a good place to be yeah. And with your TikTok account, do you have you sort of got a plan of how many followers you want kind of in six months and a year? Um, I, you know, when I first started it, because again, that, that first year I started it, it was just something on the side. I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create Bond Diver. I'm going to play around with it. Let's see what happens after a year. And then if after a year, uh, oops, sorry, I left the camera there. Um, and then if after a year um, it was going well, then I was going to try and turn it into like a, a career in a sense. And um that first year on TikTok, um, it was right at Christmas, so almost the one year anniversary of when I started TikTok or when I started Mondiver, I hit a hundred thousand followers on TikTok. Mm. Um, and I was like, wow, okay, there's actually like a, a real opportunity here. Like I, I need to jump on this. So then as of uh January of this year, um, I am now part self-employed under Mondiver and I've created it into like its own little business. And so I can write off my expenses and, and um, I've merged it with my teaching as well. So when I teach, I'm contracted out um, under Modern Diver for teaching. So um, I was able to kind of merge a lot of that stuff together. And I, I've done a lot of good work right now working up my branding like my logo and my website and I've got a merch line as well which is really cool um I do sell uh kind of merch worldwide and stuff which is awesome um and I've set up my branding so at this point now it's just focusing on 
uh, content creation. So just getting out and just just having fun while diving, sharing the adventure of diving, answering viewers' questions, and I've I've really worked out a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. And I think on TikTok, if if you look at my account, I think in the last year and a half, I've uploaded like twelve hundred posts. I think on TikTok. Uh-huh. which is and those are all video posts right those are it's it's and i can i can make it i can edit a video on my phone pretty quick and sometimes uh with tiktok when i first started tiktok you could only do videos of up to one minute and the average video on tiktok was about 15 to 30 seconds which uh if i'm sharing a clip from a dive like that was a perfect amount of time with a song and stuff it was great um if there was questions and stuff i could answer a question within 60 seconds but it, sometimes it was hard and i had to like really like streamline the answer or i would miss some information and it would snowball into multiples and then tiktok as a platform has really grown over the last couple years and they're always trying to grow and 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 kind of really plant themselves in for the long run and i was recently granted the option to to start uploading three minute videos which is more than enough for most questions Um, if Mm -hmm. i start talking longer than that then i should probably put it on youtube Um, so with tiktok it's Every time I get ready to start kind of moving from TikTok to maybe start growing more on YouTube for longer video, TikTok will then come up with a feature to give me longer videos. And it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, you know, I'm just going to stay here then. And then, um, so it's great. And it, it's a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm trying to do, uh, I'm trying to grow the Instagram following a bit because uh, a lot of the divers I know don't use TikTok, they use Instagram. And mm. a lot of those people are missing out on the content that I, I create. And the content I create doesn't necessarily work on YouTube that well. So I'm trying to upload it to Instagram, but Instagram just, it's still, it's a different type of platform. So it doesn't always transfer over well. And it's, it's a pain to have to export from TikTok and then transfer to, to Instagram. Right, you guys know, you guys How do you, how do you find you know. Facebook? I actually don't have, uh, I have a personal Facebook. I've been on Facebook for way too long. I think I, I'm starting to get Facebook memories from 14 years ago because <laughs> um, I was, I was young, right? I was in, I was in, I was in like late grade school, early high school when that all started. So I was, I was, I went from my, yeah, I went from my space right to, right to Facebook as soon as I could. So to me, um, I know Facebook is a platform that I probably should be on and I should create some modern diver stuff on it. But at the moment, I don't have any modern diver stuff on Facebook. Um, but I'm having a hard time trying to balance uh, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Young by people myself, are not so. on Facebook, are they? They, not, not, they, the not as much, as... not as much. No, not yeah. as much. And that's where like the, the main, I think it's 50% of, of users on TikTok are under the age of 34. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like 80% of like the daily users of TikTok are within that demographic. Um, and when you look at kind of current social media statistics and stuff like, uh, like Facebook and, and Instagram and them, their, their kind of growth and organic reach is kind of starting to sink down, but like TikTok's really taking off. And then it's Instagram's doing a bit better now because they've, they've released Instagram reels, which is their version of TikToks. And then YouTube also now has YouTube shorts which yeah. is their version of TikTok. So vertical video is definitely starting to um, become a bit more mainstream. And that's because uh, I think I looked at another stat earlier today where it said like 80% of uh, social media is consumed on a mobile phone mm-hmm. nowadays yeah. uh, compared to desktop. So widescreen videos on phones are, if you're watching it in a vertical sense, it's really tiny. And if you're watching it widescreen, it's your, your rotating orientations all the time. But um, vertical video is, is neat. It's, it's interesting to try and film something underwater for vertical video because your camera films in widescreen. And yeah. I film everything now in 4K and I have, to, I have to remember to stay back so I can crop in on the video for vertical. Whereas 
if I, what I used to do everything for widescreen, it's you, you had the full frame to, to have something in the center, but for, for vertical video, you need to shoot in a really mm -hmm. high res. You need to be farther back and you need to be able to zoom in and crop that video to that vertical format. And you come to edit it. Yeah. 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 And yeah. It's, it's neat now. Um, right now I've just been teaching a lot, so I haven't had a chance to do a lot of kind of content creation, but around the fall last year, I did a lot of, of TikTok content creation, which was a lot of fun. And that was neat kind of filming specifically for TikTok, because as I mentioned, the original footage I was using on TikTok was all of my trips over the last uh, six to eight years. And in my mind, I filmed things a lot better than I did. And watching those videos afterwards, I'm happy that I only needed a 15 to 30 second clip because the, after a minute, my buoyancy was awful and I would fall off to the side or I have no idea why I was filming what I was filming. Um, but a lot of the new footage I take now is is uh, cinematic gold is what I like to call it. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see. I've got, I got a lot of ambitions for underwater videography, but it's, it's just balancing. Uh, it's just trying to balance everything between teaching yeah. and social media and working full-time at the dive shop and um, being married and spending some time with my wife and, and doing our own little adventures here and there as well. So yeah. it's, uh, it's been Wait, fun, but I'm, I'm excited. Well. Mm -hmm. No, we don't have any kids. We don't have any kids at the moment. Um, probably not anytime soon. Um, our goal at the moment would be to try and get a house at some point, but uh, with the pandemic and the economy and everything, it's all kind of wonky. So at yeah. the moment we're just having fun. Um, so that's why we're going to do that road trip. As I mentioned, at the end of August, we're going to drive, uh, we're going to drive North. We're going to do a dive in Lake Superior, which will be a first for both of us. Cause again, I've never dove in that Lake. So that'll be really cool. And then, uh, we're hiking, uh, we're going to do a hike to sleeping giant mountain, which is the tallest mountain in Ontario. So it's about a 23 kilometer hike and, uh, it gets you to the tallest cliff in uh, Ontario. Like yeah. It's called sleeping giant. Yeah. It looks from a distance. It kind of looks like a big sleeping giant. Like it's like flat ground all around and there's just a big, really soft kind of mound kind of mountain, but, uh, yeah, should be cool. It's, it's exciting. Yeah. yeah well, the main thing is have fun. That's exactly, that's exactly it. Have fun, keep moving forward, keep challenging yourself and, um, be adaptive right the world changes and things change yeah. and you got to be fluid right you can try to plan a dive trip well in advance but if things get canceled you got to be you got to be able to adjust right exactly yeah yeah and that's the way you know i think we've all had a bit of a reset and you've just got to have an open mind about things yeah. mm -hmm. exactly exactly yeah. yeah we have a um a couple of set questions for you sure. that, um, we ask um or people but one of them is gonna be you are first um you're being a guinea pig actually because we're okay gonna, okay we're gonna use this a new set question <laughs> okay and um we'll be asking this of all our guests and okay um more will be revealed as time go on um so uh we'll do the we'll do the normal one first i think okay. be the best way to do okay so and i'll leave Gemma to do the the new one, if that makes sense. <laughs> okay. We haven't rehearsed this, so you can't tell. Okay. <laughs> um, so if you could have a billboard mm -hmm. and you could put anything on there that you want, okay, so this is really great. You can know, you could imagine this is a TikTok billboard and you okay. can put anything on there, whatever you like, but it has to be a message. Okay. The world. What are you um... on it? And that can be... Hold on. It can be a picture. It can be uh, text. It can be whatever you like. Okay. Well, where's this billboard located? Somewhere big that the whole Somewhere world big. can see. It could be even in space. The whole world so can, can see. see. Okay. Okay. Um, 
Interesting question. If I, so the reason I asked, if it was like local, right? I really like to try and encourage like local diving. And I've always thought about here in, in St. Catharines to just take like one of the, the, the local shipwreck here that most people don't even know exists and just post it on a billboard and say, this is in your hometown. Have you ever seen it? Learn to dive. Kind of something like that. Like really inspire them to get into local diving, something in their backyard that they've never seen. Um, And TikTok in a sense is, is, is so global that a lot of my messages there are pretty neutral to the whole world. And in those situations, I like to, I really like that question when someone, when someone asked me a question of like, um, is it uh, like, is it hard to learn to dive? And then I'll kind of just get, do a kind of a quick talk of like, no, it's not hard to learn to dive. And, and so it'd be something along those lines of something to really kind of inspire someone to get into diving. And that's, that's kind of the, it's, it's something that's on a lot of people's bucket list. And it's something that I think a lot of people wait way too long to kind of get into. And mm. sometimes you get these people where they, they kind of retire, their kids have moved out, they've got more time off work and stuff, and they get into diving and they get into recreational and they realize how much they love it. And they're like, oh, wow, like I, I want to get into the, I want to do some of these really big expeditions or get into this more advanced levels of diving. But you know what, maybe I got into the sport a little too late than I should have. So it's kind of a, I really want to try and inspire people at a younger age to get into it and to really get an idea of, of what their long-term goals are. So that way they can enjoy it to its, its fullest. Yeah, that's a great answer. Yeah. So in terms of that, if you could take three people diving underwater, they don't have to be, they can be from mm. the past, anybody, mm. what three or who, who would you take with you? It's interesting. So as far as like the personal people I know, it's it's funny. I've actually done a, a couple big discover scubas for my entire family where I've rented a local pool and I've had a chance. So pretty much anyone I know personally that I've wanted to take under, I've dragged them underwater already <laughs> at least in, in one way or another. Um, as far as uh, kind of getting out like people who, who I don't know personally, um, you've got just those, those kind of classic ones, right? You've got like, I'd love, it'd be really cool to be able to do a dive with like Jacques Cousteau or something like that, or um in the cave diving world when you learn about diving you learn a lot about Sheck Exley um he did he carved the way of um a lot of the modern cave diving standards and explored a lot of really cool sh- uh, a lot of really cool caves and and networks and same thing I'd really like to do a dive with him um and then for the third person it'd be um uh, Sylvia Earle's pretty awesome. Um, if uh, Sylvia Earle also does a lot of really great stuff for ocean conservation and science and yeah. and different things like that, and she'd be another one that I think would be really cool to get out and dive with. Um, and it's okay. uh, great yeah. choice. Good choices there. Good answers. Yeah. yeah. So our third question is: Have you ever been on a liverboard? I have. Yeah. Yeah. I've done, a, I've done a few. So I did, uh, I did, I've done the Blackbirds cruise in the Bahamas. Um, so that's where you're on like a 65 foot sailboat for a week, kind of sailing around the Bahamas, doing a bunch of dives, super inexpensive, well worth it. Um, I've done a liveaboard in uh, Truck Lagoon. We were on um, the Thorfinn. Um, so we were on that ship for a week, which was a lot of fun. And then I've also done um, the Great White Shark trip in 2019, where we went to Guadalupe Island and cage dive with the Great Whites. We did that with Nautilus Explorer and we were on the Bellamy. Um, so I've done those three liveaboards yeah. in my time. Yeah. yeah. So if you could do another one anywhere in the world, what would be on your bucket list? Um, so when we did the Nautilus trip um, to, to Guadalupe, right? So that trip dives, uh, does cage diving off the coast of Guadalupe Island, where the sharks are only there for about two to three months out of the year. And then for the rest of the year, they, they explore this, the, the Pacific Ocean, um, but they all flock to that island. And when the sharks are not there, 
the 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 Bellamy liveaboard um, goes to the Socorro Islands, which is kind of near like Baja, Mexico, mm-hmm. and that's where you're driving with the hammerheads and the the mantas and all this kind of stuff. And when I was on the boat, I learned that they do at the beginning of the season, at the end of the season, you can do a double liveaboard where you start in Socorro and they let you stay on the boat for the for the week and a half crossing all the way up mm-hmm. to the South Pacific up to the Great Whites. And they stop at these different islands that they don't normally stop at um, along the way. And the liveaboard can only be half full because um, they have to stock all the rooms with food and stuff because they're out at, at, on the water for for two to three weeks pretty much to do that full travel. But um, I think that would be one I really want to do. I would like to do a hybrid of, of Socorro while the Great Whites or Great Whites first and then go to Socorro. I think that would be a really cool, a really cool liveaboard because you're you're traveling. You're doing like two two big destinations on the liveaboard, whereas um most of the other liveaboards I've done have been like you get on the boat at, at night, but the boat really doesn't move much. It gets to just this one region and it just stays yeah. within that region. Mm-hmm. So it'd be really cool to do a liveaboard that uh, travels a long distance throughout where you're kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, an expedition, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, exactly. Kind of like an expedition. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Or uh, I guess the other one is Antarctica. There's an expedition. There's a liveaboard that goes to Antarctica, which mm-hmm. I think would be really cool. Um, so one of those two would be my, mm-hmm. my next. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And liverboards just open up another world in the diving circle, mm-hmm. don't they? Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've made a lot of really good long-term friends on those liverboards. So. Yeah. No, that's great to hear. Really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a yeah, that's made a lovely podcast. So right, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. No, thank you for having me. Yeah. It was great talking to you guys. And uh, uh, thanks again to Grace for for hooking us up and getting us to connect together. And yeah, super cool. Awesome, guys. Well, thanks again for the chat, and I uh, hope you guys have a good rest of your day. Yeah, you. you too. Yeah, thanks, thanks very much, you. Chris. All right, okay. no worries. Bye. 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 Okay, right. Well, that's Chris, and I want to say uh, thank you very much to Chris for giving us some of his time, and, uh, you know, that was really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. really entertaining, and, you know, he's had a real... Uh, variety of diving over the 10 years that he's been done really well i think you know and um it's not easy building up that type of sort of following and that so uh you know uh brilliant brilliant well done yeah yeah and we look forward to him increasing his tiktok following yes yeah and uh you know hopefully we can build on ours as well a little bit so uh, that'd be good so check out the show notes chris's uh, TikTok will be there and I'll TikTok will be Yeah, he's the modern diver mm. on TikTok and actually on YouTube and um, yeah. all his well. social media. Yeah. yeah, so modern diver. But yeah, really good. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, our listeners will like that guest. Yeah, let us know what you think. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, so, yeah, next episode um, for episode 86 and well, part B, episode 87 is new friend to the podcast lee bishop yep so he's a famous wreck diver explorer and just a pioneer of diving deep diving uh, you know it blows me away a little bit because you know at the same time you know people you know guys like this uh like lee um mm. john chatterton richie cola uh chris spence were they were at the forefront of developing systems and processes and you know if you know if they needed to know how to dive that they basically 
Did it? Trial or error? It was, you know, and um, and so brave to do that. And if it weren't for people like that, you know, our development in diving would be way behind. Yeah. You know, if you listen to this, listen to uh, the next episode and, um, you know, uh, listen to the one after that, because uh, it's a really good conversation, you, you know, and Lee talked a lot about these early years. Yeah, yeah, and you know it's really, really interesting. And then he goes on to talk about artifacts that he finds on wrecks. So yeah. it's, it's yeah. really, yeah. So listen in, and yeah. Also, want to say, um, don't forget to like and share with your dive buddies, and uh, tell them about the big scuba. Look up our website and our YouTube channel, and like and subscribe and share. Yeah, check out our social media. So we're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, we're on Twitter, uh, we're on LinkedIn, YouTube. So, and we've been promoting our like new t-shirts and our hoodies. So yeah. if you like the look of them, let us know. And a lot of our guests on there. I think all of our guests actually are on there, aren't they? Yeah, up to I think episode kind of 80. So yeah. So uh, they're all, all, just about all on there. Um, and also don't forget to, if you go, if you listen to us for iTunes or Spotify or Entail or whatever, don't forget to leave a review because that helps other people find us. Yep, exactly. And if you've got any suggestions of guests you'd like us to maybe contact to have on as an episode, then drop us an email or a yep. DM on our social media Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and then we'll answer you. So, yeah, and we've also got our lovely back phone, which you can also use to send voice messages to. And that number is plus 44 Excellent. So, yeah, so that's that. So, we've told you about diving, we've told you about our yeah, and you listen to our guest. We told you about who's coming up next, and so apart from that, that's about it. So yeah. always, you know, like and share and comment where you can. We, you know, we love your feedback. And we like hearing from our listener. Yep. No, it's really good to hear from everybody. So keep your eye on our social media. See what we're up to in the week, and yep, yep we'll look forward to seeing you next Monday. Yes. Tune in next week. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for downloading. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We are not affiliated with any agency or organisation and all opinions expressed in this episode are our own and those of our guests. If you wish to make any comments about this episode, then please do contact us via email or our social media platforms that are listed in the episode show notes. Alternatively, you can send us a message or voice message via WhatsApp on the Big Scuba Bat Phone and the number is plus four four. 7810 We will always respond promptly and thank you once again for downloading this episode.